Today's scripture is Revelation 12, chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, and it is page 1,926 in the Pew Bible. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his, that his time is short. Oh, Father, I'm so glad that his time is short. And so, Lord, as we consider this thought today, what should our minds be focused on? We pray that you'll help us to see clearly that in this time of the devil's wrath, in this time of his anger, we need to focus on Jesus Christ, the one who overcame, the one who gives us that same power, and the one who then gives us the beautiful good news to share with the world. Guide us this morning to see this clearly, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I mentioned John Edward during the announcement time. Years ago, I did some research about him, and he was on a talk show, and he said, I'm John Edward. I talk to dead people. And what amazed me was a few months ago, my wife was listening to, some time ago, not a few months ago, was listening to the radio, and it mentioned this seminar was coming to Redding, California. And I thought to myself, well, I already have something planned for January, but I think I'm going to focus on angel warfare because I want to prepare our hearts to say, you know what, there's a lot of things out there that could distract us and get us away from Jesus Christ, and this is even coming to our own doorstep. We need to be praying against it, but also empowering ourselves with Jesus Christ and the armor of God. And so as I consider this individual again, I was doing some research and I found out that he is not very accurate. You find three out of 23 times he accurately guessed information about audience participants by asking questions and getting it out of them. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That even though he's asking questions and getting information and drawing just logical conclusions, he's still only getting it three out of 23 times. And that in and of itself is enough to say it's a false prophet because we find the prophets who make predictions in the scriptures had this uncanny ability beyond themselves to be accurate. How many times out of 100? 100% of the time when they're making a prediction for their God. And so we know that this individual is making a poor example, if he's on the kingdom of darkness, a poor example for his master, that's for sure. And he says he talks to people on the other side, and somehow he's able to communicate. He got shut down after 9-11 because he wanted to talk to those people on the other side. And people began to actually question his authority and all of this. But as I read these, these articles, I don't go to his website, but as I read articles and news clips about him, I began to realize that here's an individual who truly believes honestly that they have this ability that the church that they grew up in, their home church, couldn't give them that ability, but they've sought this ability from mediums and psychics, and now they have it, and it's almost like a Christo-paganism going on. He truly believes that somehow this is aiding his relationship with God. And furthermore, then, he spends time every day, 30 minutes to an hour, communicating with the other side. Now, how much time do we spend every day communicating with 
our side. That's what I, I paused and as I read that, and some of these mediums will not leave their homes until they spend at least 30 minutes with their spirit guide. And we rush off after a five-minute devotional and hope that that's enough to, like a little crucifix or something, to keep us from evil throughout the whole day. And so it's a, it's a, it's a sobering reality, but it's also a rebuke and says, all right, slow down. There is a spiritual battle going on. This is one of the agents in the battle. He's only one of so many. And when the devil's done with him, he's going to discard this guy. So we need to be praying for this individual and praying against his evil influence for the devil. But the question still remains, if there's another side, if there's evil in this world, how much time then am I spending focusing on Jesus? Not on necessarily even listening to sermons, because eventually I'd just prefer to do away with the sermon and have you guys spend time with the Lord. I know there's some value to the sermon. I understand that. I'm only here to supplement what is taking place in the homes during the week. That is my only role, is to encourage you and to supplement it and maybe hit something at a different angle that you've already studied, because I know you're covering this in your Sabbath school lesson. So that's my role, is to encourage you to connect with Christ because if you don't connect with him, then what are you connecting with? What am I connecting with then? I know what I used to connect with. And I still remember looking in the mirror and telling the devil at a certain point, talking to him and getting to the point where I would even talk to him and said, I'm going to be the worst person you've ever seen. Take control. That's a terribly dark path. It's amazing that I'm even alive today. I was, there was an attempt on my life, even at my birth, and so for me to even be standing here, even to make that commitment and then eventually say, you know what, i got to reverse that. And I knew how to do it. It was through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was our scripture reading. It was through the blood of Jesus Christ and recognizing he had crushed the head of the serpent, recognizing he can let me go free. And so when I talk about the other side, I don't feel nervous about it anymore. And I'm not going to go ahead and go into all his stuff. I'm going to show you from the scriptures who he's communicating with on the other side and why we need to spend more time in communicating with our Heavenly Father. That's what that song talked about, draw me nearer. And it talked about this hour with the Lord. And so today, I pray that we will see the other side is none other than the side of evil. Revelation 12, verse 7, it says, there's war in heaven, there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon, and the dragon warred and his angels. We talked about angel warfare last week. And they prevailed not. So that clash took place, and the losers are none other than the fallen angels. They try to make it look the opposite in our world, make what is wrong look right, what is right look wrong, and make it seem like in their propaganda machine, they're winning this thing. And it may seem because of human beings inviting them in so many ways to work in their lives and so many pathways into them that it may seem like they're winning, but they are not. They are going on a crash course against the God of eternity, and they will lose. They've lost in the past. They will lose this battle here on this world because the war began in heaven. And everything we see in this world is a series of battles taking place in a war that's already been won. And so that's the ultimate outcome. That's the good news. It says they prevail not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast down, the old serpent, the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was cast down to the earth and his angels were cast down with him. Problem though, in North America, we find different religious surveys show that even amongst Christians, some say upwards of 40% of even Christians aren't even believing in a literal Satan anymore or an adversary or someone, like Paul says, who has 
powers and principalities and somehow as stages of government, that's a big problem then. If we're thinking it's just the persona of evil and all of that, and there's never a real leader of evil because the scriptures in Revelation make it clear. This is the one who literally took possession of that serpent and tempted Eve in the garden. Caused our world to fall. So I do believe in a literal Satan when I read this. I do believe that, yes, his name can mean adversary, and yes, he's really Lucifer, the shining one, gone dark. But I do believe a real, literal being exists who is orchestrating evil in our world. And so the deceiver is cast down, his angels were cast down with him, and here's this great voice saying, now has come the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God. What should our focus be? The fallen angel and all his cronies? This should be our focus right here. The power of his salvation, the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ. How much authority is that? All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me. Go, make disciples, share this good news with the world. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto death. Their life was worthless to them, apart from Christ. That scripture reading said it really well. Basically, basically, they would even be willing to die for Jesus Christ and give up this life. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and ye that dwell in them. And it says, Woe to you, inhabitants of the earth. But notice here in this text, salvation, blood of the Lamb. What is our focus then? What did that song say, Draw Me Near? It talked about an hour, spending an hour with the Lord. And I know I'm rushed too. I understand that. I mean, I got so many hats I'm wearing at certain points, I'm going to give them to other people eventually, but I want to hold on to them, right? I want to keep my busy schedule going. Well, you, got, you can't wear those hats. You can't really perform those roles that God has called you to if you don't spend that time at the feet of Christ. The next week during our worship service, we'll talk about spending a whole hour with the Lord, and the whole worship service will be an hour focusing on Christ like we did last year. Similar clips, similar readings, some different music involved, but it's going to be focusing all an hour on Christ. What could that look like if we did that daily at our homes? I think it would change everything. I know even if I'm only spending 15 minutes to 30 minutes one part of the day and another, okay, don't necessarily do it all one time. Be like the current literature on exercise. It all adds up, right? So if you can't spend the whole hour at one time, then make sure during the day you're sprinkling in those moments with him. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, went to make war with the rest of her seed that keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus Christ. We've, we've looked at this before, but basically why do bad things happen in our world? Because that is where his sights are focused on. Those people who are trying to do good, especially why do bad things happen to good people? He has his sights on the good people because they somehow represent Jesus. They somehow are reflecting his character. And now all of a sudden, if you're in Christ, there's a huge problem. Christ is everywhere. How do you put down a rebellion such as that then? Where you think your foe is defeated, but all of a sudden it appears like he's right over there and right over there and right over there. Everybody reflecting the character of Christ means a crisis for the kingdom of Satan. And it shows you an agent that we've talked about before. So it's not just the devil and his angels, but he also has agents because you have this beast standing upon the sea that eventually comes up out of the sea there when, he's, when John is standing there. So you find... There are 
angelic beings, and there are human agents who have been groomed over time to be these agents for the devil. You usually know them because they use the same methods the devil uses. They, he accuses people all the time and picks, picks on people and is hypercritical. And all. You, you start noticing Satan's right-hand helpers are typically accusers of the brother. They're not encouragers. They tear down. That, to me, is the number one indicator. And they also distract. So, right, you know, in Africa, they know it for sure. I, my prayer partner, say, well, what they do is some of them have been groomed, and, and some of the angels themselves can't go into some of these congregations because they are seeking the Lord in prayer and all that. So he'll send these human beings in, like, almost like these, these, these uh, roadside bombings, these, these people who wear these vests, and he'll literally cause the person to disrupt the whole service. And so you find that's another indicator. We, we see that manifestation. And so what we find is he has his angelic host, which is only good news, a third of the heavenly host that fell, and he has his human agents. But how do I counteract all of that? Well, I don't want to be hateful towards, I don't really, I wouldn't mind Satan and his angels being nuked. That, that's all right with me. But the human agents that have been groomed over time and been abused and are weak and all of that, he's, he's just literally ready to discard them when he's finished with them. Those are the ones that I definitely pray for. And I pray, Lord, they need, the, they need Jesus. They need Jesus just as much as I do. Revelation 16 makes it even clearer. There's these three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, the false prophet. Similar language that you have to the plagues in Egypt. Definitely not from the side of God. And they are spirits of devils working miracles. So it gets more complicated, doesn't it? Because we look at and we think that in the ancient Near East way of thinking, at least back then, if a miracle took place or a curse took place, they assumed different things about it. So a miracle, we, even today, some people assume that all miracles are from God, and that's not always the case. Revelation makes it clear that when something takes place, basically you have to compare it to the testimony of Jesus, to how he has worked through his spirit in the past. And, and we have the clearest revelation right here. If you ever doubt, you, you've got a huge amount of resource right here that we would do well to read, to memorize, to have in our minds, to compare all of these things to the scriptures. This is how the other side works. All you got to do is go back to one case study in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 28, Saul said to his servant, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. So they have these familiar spirits. And what's interesting in this whole episode here is that eventually he's eating with this woman who is in a covenant or something with these evil spirits and produces this manifestation. And I was told one time by my friend Emmanuel, pastor in West Ghana, he said, one of the steps, one of the, one of the final steps before they possess you is the demons, is that they will eat with you. They'll appear to you and they'll eat with you. So first you start hearing things. Next thing you know, your spiritual eye is open. You start seeing things. Next thing you know, they are there and you're afraid of them. And basically, they offer an olive branch to you and say, let's eat together. So what, how does this story end? He's eating with the witch of Endor. So what we find is a progression takes place. Why would you even seek that which you have banished from your kingdom that you know is an abomination to the Lord? And then eventually you sit down and you eat that meal, basically confirm a covenant with that side. So it's a really sad progression that we see here. A very fast one. By the time he gets to this witch, he's going downhill fast. The devil has already groomed him to that point, and it's, to me, a very sad story. 
It says, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel into your hand. Notice the message of this, this uh, being that she conjures up. Saul can't even see it at first. And what we find is, he says, describe it to me. She described, oh, it's Samuel, right? So he's assuming it's Samuel, a dead prophet. And notice the, how encouraging the message is. It should have been a, like a message of repentance or, or encouragement. Or do like, do like the one whom you hate so much, you know, like David. But we find none of that here in this text. We find nothing but death in this text. And that's where it ends with Saul. And you, you realize that the, the song that follows Saul's death that David has, he's mourning for not just Saul, who is mighty with his sword at the end, but he's also mourning for his, Saul's son, Jonathan, who was taken to the grave with him. And Jonathan becomes known as the one with the bow in that song, because we find somehow, can you imagine, you know your dad's going to the grave, you know that more than likely he's lost, and all these soldiers are surrounding you on Mount Gilboa, what are you going to do? You're going to defend your dad all the way to the death, and that's what happens. Saul and his sons, with his sons around him, his sons are defending their father all the way to the death. And we know Jonathan is somebody who's spoken of well in the scriptures, so more than likely he knew that he wanted his dad to have his sons around him at the last minutes. And there he is firing off his arrows, according to the song. You wounded all your enemies. But what a tragic loss, taking even godly people with him in death. And how does God feel about that whole thing? This is our young people, their answer for their question. So if you've got your FBI sheet, and today, young people, I'm wearing my badge, so I've got a whole, my, the rest of my goodies right over there on the front row. So Exodus 22, verse 18 is the scripture there to write down. And I'm going to look it up because it has a context with it. Exodus chapter 22, verse 18. So you've got these moral and ceremonial principles being listed off here. One of them is right before it here. And now we have this one, just almost like it stands alone. You shall not permit a sorceress or a witch to live. Now that's, that's just a short phrase. You notice it goes right on from there and it links these practices to the practices of Egypt. So eventually it leads down a course away from the faith of God. But that's a short verse, isn't it? But basically, you're to drive them from the land. Have we driven this practice from the land of the United States, of communicating with the dead. No, in fact, I, I came across a Wiccan priest in central Nebraska. There's a story for another day, maybe for the children. And he was so scared of the demonic side because all of a sudden he was in there, he invited a Satanist into his group. He went from white magic to inviting the Satanist into his group. And as he invites the Satanist into his group, this rushing wind comes into his group, knocks people down, begins choking people and all this stuff. And I get the phone call saying, I need help. Now you can figure out what you're gonna do about that when someone calls you like that. But the white magic leads into the darker. That's exactly, and, and he even talked about how their goal is to develop crystal paganism in the United States, merge the white magic with Christian language. Well, then what's the next step? Well, you know what the next step is. It's that wind rushing in and choking people. And so 
we have not succeeded in driving this from the land. In fact, there are estimates that say that New Age is one of the fastest growing religions in the United States of America. And unfortunately, I don't want to offend anybody, but unfortunately, we from the pulpit have not done a good job of saying, watch out for these things. It's not popular. It sometimes even feels hurtful if you tell somebody, you know what, it'd be best for you to wait for the resurrection day to see your loved one. That seems really harsh sometimes, especially when they've buried their loved one thinking that they go immediately to heaven and they can talk to them now, and you telling them, spend the time with the Lord, focus on his resurrection, you'll see them someday. You just, now just seems like you've taken them out of heaven and stuck them back in the grave. So that seems hard, but that's the way we sometimes have to go. And why? Because we don't let, they would not even permit a witch to live in Israel. That's how bad it was seen. And God says this, there shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. We're not doing that, are we? You wonder why there's so many children's faces on milk cartons. It's because we have a huge surge in witchcraft. And one of the steps in witchcraft is eventually you sacrifice an innocent one. It doesn't just stop at animal sacrifice. Eventually you sacrifice the children. And so we still are failing there. That uses divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or wizard, that's Harry Potter, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, plural, all of them, the Lord God doth drive them out from before thee. And really what it comes down to is a faith that's built just on experience primarily and not on the word of God. Because when your faith is built primarily on experience, then you're going to want to seek these types of experiences. You're going to, it's, it's basically a feel-good faith. And unfortunately, we find the Bible says it goes into darkness. Because who wouldn't want to have a loved one call to them in the night after they've died from the other side? I've had people literally pull me over aside in the foyer and say, I know what the Bible teaches. I'm looking forward to the resurrection day. But I heard his voice. I heard my husband's voice. Or I heard my daughter's voice. I was sitting in a home visiting, and she's like, and she comes at night sometimes, and it's almost like, watch out, she might come tonight when you're visiting. And I said, you know, we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Why are you afraid? Why is it an abomination? Follow my line of thinking here. Who is the one speaking in Deuteronomy? The Lord. Yahweh, you get it. Jehovah in some translations. Who is this one? This is the one in Genesis 1 through 3, especially with the creation of humanity, who breathes into our nostrils the breath of life. He knows exactly how we have life. He knows exactly the words that he spoke to us in the garden and said, don't eat of this tree or you will die. And here comes Lucifer along and he says, you won't die. And so we find that's the one who's speaking here in Deuteronomy. He's consistent. And he is saying this is an abomination. So that in and of itself is enough for me because this is none other than Jesus, before we knew his name is Jesus in the Old Testament. Paul says that rock that followed you in the wilderness was Christ. So who is the personal person of the Godhead, agent of the Godhead? It's none other than Jesus in the Old Testament. He's the one who's taking care of his people. He's the one providing the manna. He's the one who's giving them the Ten Commandments. He's the one throughout the whole Old Testament. That's why Jesus goes and says, the law and the prophets testify concerning me. He's, he's pointing out all those things to his disciples when he's here in this world. So this is the Lord in Deuteronomy. This is none other than Jesus before his name was Jesus. 
personal agent of the Godhead, what he says then is not just his own words. This is what heaven believes. This is what the unfallen believe. And he's the only person who ever really talks to dead people. The only person who ever really talks to dead people. And let me tell you why. He's the only one who can resurrect them. And he says that my words, they will hear my voice and they will rise. So that's what happens to Lazarus. That's what happens, we find, through the Old Testament, is that it's his voice, his own words, he will resurrect them. So then who are we talking to then? Well, we never talk to dead people. Otherwise, we're somehow taking upon the prerogatives of Jesus. And that's called blasphemy in the New Testament. That's like claiming to forgive somebody's sins. You can point them to the Savior, but you can't forgive their sins. So to say something... Now, and I hope I don't offend anybody who's had a loved one pass away and somehow this is grating on you. I apologize. But to talk to that person is not your prerogative or mine. That's God's prerogative. So if I go that route, eventually I'm taking upon myself something that belongs to God himself, the power to talk to them, the power to resurrect them, and eventually, eventually then, I'm going down a dark path. Because the Bible teaches us that it's really not your loved one you're talking to. It's the other side. So those who claim to talk to the dead are not talking to the dead, but are talking to demons that are in disguise. Because we've seen in Corinthians, he can masquerade as an angel of light. If he can send someone to talk to me so many hundreds, thousands of miles away from here, in the middle of Nebraska, that he had planned to get me out here beforehand, and the Lord really wanted me here, then surely he's got his human agents and his angelic agents out there, and surely then, if he knows enough about me before he even talks to me in the car to point me in the wrong direction, then surely he knows and keeps a record on each one of you as well. And then he could surely then mimic the voice, intonations, and everything of a loved one. That's a simple task for a former angel of light. So if he could disguise himself as an angel of light, then surely he could disguise himself as a loved one. And so to talk to the dead is trying to take the place of Christ. And if we take the place of Christ, according to the New Testament, that's Antichrist. You're now in the place of Christ, taking on yourself the prerogatives of Christ. He's never asked you to do that. He's asked you to trust that there's a great reunion day coming, that you're going to unite with your loved ones in the sky, and you're going to see his glorious face. Trust him. Because no one in heaven and earth or the new earth is going to say, I talk to dead people. That will not be allowed. It was not allowed in the camp of Israel. It will not be allowed in the earth made new. And this lie that was whispered way back there in the Garden of Eden, here in this fallen world, is going to fade into silence in eternity. It's going to be totally silent. No one will ever say that ever again. This is why I say this, because the prophet Isaiah dealt with it in his day. He said it a lot more, he addressed it more harshly than I ever would. He says, and when they shall say to you, seek to them that have familiar spirits, to wizards that peep and mutter, should not a people seek their God for the living to the dead? Or another way of translating it, why would you seek the dead on behalf of God? Why would you try to know something about God by seeking the dead? He says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And notice how dark it gets. If you are following these types of manifestations, then you're going to be the one on the end of the phone line saying, Pastor, I used to go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, or I heard something years ago I attended, and all of a sudden, I can't control this thing. That's, that's just how dark it gets, to the point where suicidal thoughts, and this, that was a terrible 
phone call that I had to deal with on the other end. To see the progression that this dear individual went from sitting in a pew like this to all of a sudden all hell breaking loose in his life. And it has a dark progression. And Isaiah says, They'll pass through the earth, hardly bestead and hungry. It will come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves. They can't be fed. And they'll curse their king and their God and look upward. They'll look on the earth. Behold, only trouble and darkness. That's what happened to Saul. Dimness of anguish, they shall be driven into darkness. So he's saying to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, don't, there's no light in them. Don't go there. And he's now describing a process of how when it begins looking like light, but eventually it fades into darkness. So when darkness, though, and here's the good news, if it speaks not according to this word, there's no light. But if it is this word, there is great light. Because remember that day on the cross? We find there the devil was trying to make full display of the sun and try to ridicule him and torture him before not just the world, but on looking universe. And broad daylight torturing God. And what does God do? Shields him in darkness. So God is in control and is more powerful than any dark force. It is more powerful than any scheme against man. And the cross proves that. He's more powerful than all darkness. And we win at angel warfare. And this whole game that he wants us to play, he wants us to play him one-on-one -on -one in this chess match because we'll lose. But the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, so he is there. So all we need to do then, if even one of us unites with heaven, we've got Jesus, we've got the Holy Spirit, and we've got the Father. We've, we, have, we have the Godhead on our side. And so we can win an angel of warfare just by knowing Jesus, who has shown us the Father, the Spirit, who testifies of Jesus. No Jesus, no Jesus, no Jesus. And guess what? You won't ever fall for this. Because if you know Jesus and you know that at his voice the devil rise, then it's, you're going to reject us altogether. So then how much time should I spend with him? We're told that many attend religious services and are refreshed and comforted by the word of God, either through the preacher, through the sharing Bible studies, through testimonies, but through neglect of meditation, watchfulness, and prayer, they lose the blessing. You can leave this place with no blessing. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? You could lose it eventually and find themselves more destitute than before they received it. So you can receive it, leave here. I mean, you could even start losing it before you leave here, especially if you start focusing on everybody else and how everything is going, criticizing. That could lose the blessing right away. But if you leave this place with that saying, wow, God, and then you go home, neglect of meditation, watchfulness, prayer, you lose it. It's not like God's not wanting to bestow it, but there is this world all around us that sucks us in and doesn't want us to go up into the heavenly atmosphere. It doesn't want us to unite our minds with heaven. Paul talks about the mind of Christ being in us. To have the mind of Christ in you means you have to know Christ and spend time knowing him every day. And you'll find yourself more destitute than before you received. Often they feel that God has dealt hardly with them. God, I can't hear you. God, why, why, don't, I, why don't I feel this? Face it, guys, it's a choice. It's not always feeling. I do have the feeling. I do, when his presence comes into my room, when I'm reading the word of God, and I feel just the Holy Spirit envelop me, it's something beyond this world. It's not that it doesn't exist. But in the darkest nights when I don't feel it, when my mind is numb, when the trials overwhelm me, I still choose, I still choose to love him. They don't see this fault as their own. 
they've separated themselves from Jesus. They've shut away the light of his presence. It'd be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point, let the imagination grasp each scene. I grasped one scene this week during one of the days. It felt so good. There I was reading through the Gospel of John and as I realized just there his mother was and I was just reflecting on that one scene. This is your son telling, telling Mary that. This is, this is your mother, John. And he's, he's caring for his loving, his mother who's been there all his life and now he's going to die. If you've ever been through cancer surgery or some health problem, you know what it feels like when you feel like, I can't care, Lord, I, I don't know if I'm going to be there tomorrow. And and you can just put yourself in that text just for a few moments. It can change something. All of a sudden, you're like, wow, God. Look at that love you had when you were suffering and dying, and you still loved. You still reached out. You still cared. Just that one scene can do that. I could spend a half an hour on that one scene. That's pretty easy to do. Get a couple scenes in it. That's an hour right there. All you got to do is take a journal, sit along there, and start writing things down that, that stick out to you from that scene. So that's not hard to do, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened because it just overwhelms you, and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. That's that presence that comes along you and says, you've got it, son. You've got it, daughter. You've got a child of God. That's my love for you. And so that's what she's talking about. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. We have to be humbled. It's a wonderful book, Desire of Ages in the Library of Congress. Beautiful book, page 83. And that's what Revelation says. They only overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They do not love their lives to the death. You give up your life for Jesus only if you know him as your friend. And so I, I look at this text. I look what's going on in our world. You know how much time I spend watching the news these days? My wife could tell you. Five minutes periodically. Why? That's a propaganda machine, for one, of hate and fear and all of that. And for two, how many good stories do you really see on the news? Our local news does it every once in a while. But how many, and Friday, I guess they do it once in a while on the ABC News or something. I'm not always watching that. But one story of the whole week? And yet we have all these stories that we can have during the week, and we're spending all that time watching the news. You could spend all that time watching a sermon, too. That's all right. But then why not just spend the time with the audience of one himself? He will come to you and speak to you, and he will save you. And guess what? You'll be more powerful, if you want to use the word powerful. You'll be more spiritually strengthened than any evil angel, and anything that could ever face you because you have Jesus in your heart, in your life. You have nothing to fear. I hardly ever even get that cold feeling anymore when I'm, even when I'm dealing with demonic things because I know that Jesus is in my heart and I know that I'm going into it with his power and his strength and I'm prayed up and I'm saying, Lord, God, for you to be glorified, not me. I could care less. You know my human nature. I don't want to be here, but I want to be here for you. And so we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we have this theme in 2016 every year, last year and this year. We'll have it every year until I, until I croak or the Lord calls me somewhere else. Staying connected with him. And so when you leave here today, 
You've got the 10 days of prayer materials, that's great, but you'll have this from January 17 onward. And I'm saying just try it. You don't have to use it if you don't want to, but give it a try before you chuck it. And it has a AM reading, an afternoon suggestion as far as a memory verse, words of Jesus. And if memorization is not for you, then just do the readings. And it's got a PM reading. So you've got a little guide here. People asked me for it last year, a more complete one. I tried to put it together for this year. But this is what I'm doing. And if it's helpful for you, then use it. If it's too much for you, seems too much like an aerobics class, then find something else for you. Because, I mean, you're looking at eight chapters a day plus a, a memorization text. I mean, maybe that's too much. Uh, I don't think so. It only took me about 30 minutes to read five chapters, and then I wrote down a few verses that really stood out to me, and I spent another half an hour on those. So it's not like you're going to journal or, or write down thoughts on all five chapters, but as you're reading through and getting the bird's eye view, then you'll find something that speaks to your heart. And, but the morning time I, I spend with focusing on the cross of Christ, that's only two or three chapters, sometimes only one if one of them speaks to me. And if you say, well, I don't want to do that in the morning, I want to do that in the evening, well, then just switch it around. It's just a helpful little guide there. And I believe as we individually draw closer to Christ and our strength, and we will draw closer to each other. We'll maintain that unity. We'll maintain that missional focus. We'll keep moving forward. And that's our goal with providing these resources. So if it's helpful, use it. Because Revelation 14 says we all need the gospel in our lives if we're going to share it with the world. We want the light in our lives, not the darkness. And it says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, a worldwide message saying, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven, earth, sea, and the fountains of waters. It says we have the everlasting gospel. To have something means you possess it. To, to possess it means, unless you're going to chuck it, that you somehow, somehow appreciate it if you're holding on to that. I've moved so many times, it seems like, from place to place. If I don't want something, it's going in the trash can. Or I'm recycling, or I'm giving it away. You, you just don't hold on to something that you don't want. So it says we have it. It's somehow part of us. That means it means something. If it means something, take it out. Look at it daily. And then it mentions worshiping him. Yes, we do that daily, but we also, it mentions this creation worship that takes place every seven days, a, a, a supplement for that. So we should have that weekly focus. And then yearly, doesn't tell me to have a yearly focus here, but I think that's a given, isn't it? That we as a church, as the world's focusing on resolutions and things that they want to accomplish this year, and there's even some dark shadow empire stuff going on behind the scenes, we want to focus on Jesus yearly. So I believe that we prepare our hearts, yes, for the 10 days of prayer, yes, for that 2016 guide. And next week, we're going to show you a practical way just to spend a thoughtful hour with Christ. We'll take the whole worship service, a few announcements at the beginning, but the rest will be just a whole service on the last scenes of Christ's life. So that's our goal to lead out this year. And my question is this. There's a lot of darkness in our world. I don't know what we're going to face in 2016, but I'm wondering if you'd like to stand with me and face it together with Christ. If you want to do that, whatever your statement is to him is between you and him, but I, I want to know if you could stand with me in facing whatever comes at us as a church, as individuals, uh, across our nation. There's a lot of things going on, but we want to face it with Christ, and if you'd like to face it together with me, Lord willing, 
then please stand with me during this time. Father in heaven, you know what we face when we leave this place. And so, Lord, we trust in you. We're thankful for you out of your love, sending Jesus to die for each one of us. We're thankful for your love that you come aside. I imagine all the things you do in this universe and this world, how it all seems like slow motion, all the terrible things that you see. But you come to aside each one of us and you say, follow me. I will not lead you astray. And so, Lord, I want to follow you. Each one here wants to follow you. Guide us in this new year to follow you no matter what happens. Help us to stay on the path of light, we pray in Jesus' name.